0: This is Box to Box with Rob Gilberts and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. Absolutely fantastic!
1: Hello and welcome to the first edition of Box to Box on Macquarie Radio NTS News Talk Sport, a radio program devoted to all things football. I'm Rob Gilbert and together with my co-host Michael Edgeley every week we'll review the latest in the world game. This show is all about delivering the football people of Australia a radio conversation that digs deep into the issues of the game both on and off the pitch, hopefully with the right mix of seriousness and fun. Now there's a lot of programs on TV about the domestic game these days and plenty focusing on the international scene, but there are precious few opportunities Opportunities ..for the fan, expert and part-time enthusiast alike to sink their teeth into the genuine football analysis and conversation that they want to. Box to box, as the name implies, intends to rectify that by covering the whole spectrum of the game from one end of the pitch to the other. Of course, top of the agenda every week is going to be the A-League and whatever news is breaking on the domestic level with a specific focus on the Socceroos and their qualification trail to the World Cup in Russia 2018 and whatever tournaments they're in the process of qualifying for. We'll also be spending plenty of time on the English Premier League League and the other major European competitions including La Liga, Serie A and the Bundesliga. Of course the Matildas have installed themselves as one of the rising stars of team sport in this country with their epic performance in the Women's World Cup so we'll be staying across everything to do with our girls, Aussies abroad and every corner of the game from South and North America to Africa and Asia and of course a show like this wouldn't be complete without the voices from the terrace. We've put together a lineup of experts famous for their hard-hitting opinions and each week we'll chat to the likes of Ned Zeller, and Craig Foster, among others. But first up tonight, the hardest hitter of the lot, both literally and figuratively, John Cosmina, will be along to talk for Socceroos and the FFA Cup. Some of the most authoritative journalists in the country, including the ages Michael Lynch and Sebastian Hassett from the Sydney Morning Herald, they'll feature regularly. But tonight, we'll hook into the business of football with the man who knows more about the subject than anyone in this country, John Stenzolt, who, among other strings to his bow, is sports business feature writer with the Australian Financial Review. I reckon that about covers off what Box to Box is all about. So, welcome, Michael.
2: It's been a while in coming, and now we're here. Great intro, Rob. Fantastic to be with you. Really excited about what's ahead for the next two hours. But don't forget, we've got some regulars on the show. We're going to have football royalty, Dean Hennessy. He's going to be talking A-League. We're going to have Ben Soro perez a new name to Australian listeners, but he's our European football correspondent. We're we're going to enjoy Ben's contributions. And of course, our news hound, and he's here with us in the studio now, Mark Van
0: Aken. He's got all the news. Let's go with it. Thanks, guys. Of course, the big news this week has been the EPL broadcast rights going from Fox Sports across to Optus. We'll talk to John. Well, you guys will talk to John Stensop at length a little bit later from the Financial Review. Fox, I can tell you, speaking to some insiders, are in a bit of a panic at the moment. The, the deal is worth $60 million over three years. Impact on the A-League rights. Michael, you got your hand up.
2: I just want to know, do you think uh, some of those commentators have made the calls around to SBS, to Channel 9? Are they they just sort of manoeuvring? It's been a pretty comfortable experience for those guys at Fox Sports. What do you think, Mark?
0: I think it's too early for that. And again, John will have some opinions on that. I, I think the big question that we need to delve into on the show is, okay, and it's a question that's been asked everywhere on social media, right throughout media in general this week. Okay, Optus has got the rights. What does that mean? How do we actually watch it? How's it going to happen? There's obviously, I've got a lot of ideas on that. John will obviously have those ideas too, Rob. And I know we'll talk to John about this as well, but is it possible that Optus might on-sell to Fox Sports? Is that an option? I think anything's on the table at this point. I've got the feeling that Optus didn't really expect to win And that they're probably scrambling now going, oh, geez, we've won. How do we actually deliver this? And at the same time, I know Fox, uh, even just listening to them, uh, I think on Mumbrella, there was a piece today. uh, Earlier in the week, they were kind of, oh, it doesn't matter. It's not a big loss for us. That's not a big revenue driver, which I think is rubbish. I I think it is one of the major drivers of subscriptions to Foxtel. Obviously, the AFL, the NRL, football is a big one as well. And part of the problem as well, of course, is that with Fox Sports having the A-League, you've got that
1: talent list that's at the moment fabulous but they work across both competitions don't they so how are they going to keep a lot of these guys in their jobs are they going to be ke- able to keep up the same
0: kind of standard as a league well that's the question i want you guys to ask john john will probably have a good idea on that a little later in the show because in theory this should mean that the tv rights for the a-league are worth more but uh, it may work the other way because it's the umbrella was the premier league the a-league's a little uh, one underneath. Anyway, I'll leave that up to the experts, uh, Rob Gilbert and Mike Edgley, later in the show. Moving on, Police Association of New South Wales President Scott Webber has labelled Western Sydney Wanderers fans as grubs as he calls for the sacking of Senator David Lionhelm after the poly used the term A CAB, which apparently is all cops are bastards. Very nice. Uh, several times, the Senator has also uh, advocated flare-friendly zones inside stadiums as part of his nanny state parliamentary inquiry. Rob I reckon I can see you down the front with your flair. Yeah that'd be you wouldn't it Mark Uh, I know we're going to have long conversations about that issue over the journey but uh, I think that's one point where he's uh, 100% correct. Australian football great Josip Skoko will uh, present the Mark Viduka medal to the best player at the 2015 FFA Cup final on Saturday night at Amy Park. Uh, Meanwhile Ben Williams has been appointed the referee for the cup decider. Uh, Moving through Ollie Roo's head coach Aurelio Vidmar this week named a 22 player squad to play in international friendlies against Qatar and Iran on the 12th and 16th of November in Doha and Dubai respectively. The bulk of the squad is overseas based with eight drawn from the ranks of the A-League plus Aaron Lennox and Brad Smith. I think ex-Liverpool who are currently uncontracted. This will be the final opportunity for Vidmar to work with these players before naming his squad for the AFC Under-23 Championship in Doha next January. Michael, a spot in Rio is on the line. Just what we need, Mark. Another trip to Rio.
2: Absolutely. Um, Pressure on uh, this age group within the whole elite setup, um, we have underperformed at Olympic level. Uh, everybody will be watching. Uh, it we is not
0: there at Olympic level for the last few times. That's been a problem.
2: 2000 was the last time, wasn't it, when it was here in Australia, and no. we got a we got an entry point Athens. Yeah, that's right. So look, I think it's um, I think it's absolutely crucial that uh, we qualify for Olympics. Everybody would agree with that. However, um, form suggests we're going to find it difficult. Oh, it's going to be tough, Rob. And uh,
0: these are crucial games in the lead-up.
1: Well, you look at the, uh, the, the World Cup, uh, the Joeys the other day. They did brilliantly mm. well until they came up uh, against uh, Nigeria. Now, we thought that they'd faced off against some of the
0: world heavyweights, and then we get smashed by six goals. Well, we didn't start the tournament super well. Uh, I think it was Germany 4-1. Obviously had a famous win over Argentina. There was the draw with Mexico. It was a bit of a mixed bag. There were certainly some positives to come out of the tournament. be interesting to see. I know Dean is coming on to talk uh, uh, all things A-League, but uh, he's the kind of brain you'd want to pick on. Okay, was you know, is the glass half full or half empty? And, of course, uh, Aurelio Vidmar hasn't got time, really. To uh, dwell, he's going to move on to the under-23s. But I, th- I think the underlying point
1: there is that we all love to talk about the fabulous depth and the pedigree and where our young players are, are uh, playing around the world. But it's only in these big tournaments where the, the yardstick is really tested, isn't it? If, if we are able to, first of all, qualify and then perform
0: respectably. No, exactly right. Michael, look, I don't know if you caught any of the games, but uh, I know against Argentina it was like something like 27 shots to 10 that the Argentines had, and they were really coming in that game. So, look, I don't want to be too negative, but we can't just hang our hat on beating Argentina and just having that one result. And we've got a habit of doing that, particularly at junior tournaments, of going and beating a Brazil or an Argentina. I think it was the first time we have beaten Argentina. I know we've beaten Brazil. We seem to beat Brazil quite a lot in the group stage, mm. but then don't turn it on in the, in the second round. And of course, don't forget too, yeah, we got through the group, but we did finish third. We were basically the lucky loser, so to speak, Mike.
2: Absolutely. Look, the the Joeys, I think you have to celebrate we got through to the the round of 16. I think you have to celebrate that. There's no question that that was a good performance. However, I think getting beaten 6-0 by Nigeria, and, and look... I don't think um, Nigeria would be the top of the pops of all the youth development programs in the world. There would have been a huge amount of natural talent just in that team. Uh, I think something we need to reflect on, and I know uh, the FFA, with its whole the football program, the whole, um, the whole uh, youth development structure... All of that needs to be
0: considered. Moving on to the A League, uh, gentlemen. This evening, Sydney FC take on the Brisbane Raw. If Sydney does beat Brisbane, it'll be their best ever start to an A League campaign after five games. They're currently sitting three wins and a draw. The Raw's Dimi Petratos has scored four goals in his last five A League appearances against Sydney, which is his former club. Loves banging them home against the old mob. The last fixture between these two sides, you might recall, uh, had the joint highest amount of goals in an A League game. Nine. Mark Yanko scored a hat trick. We won't be having that, of course. Moving on. On to tomorrow the jets take on the wanderers jets looking to win 3 consecutive games for the first time since november 2013 Western Sydney's only managed one win in their last 16 away A-League games. I know, Rob, they were celebrating the fact that it was 12 months since their mm-hmm. Asian Champions League glory, but yep. it's been another slow start to the campaign for Tony Popovich's Wanderers.
1: Yeah, look, one of my brothers, his wife and their three kids, are uh, foundation members at Wonderland. They love the place. Um, they're uh, supporters of all sport in Australia and uh, and they've loved them for, since day one and they've followed the journey. And Look, they're far from getting jaded or... Uh, or uh, uh, Disenchanted at all, but I think with the uh, with the, the they will uh, soon. Well, I think it's fair to say that some supporters will that uh, uh, Tony Popovich uh, led them to to glory early, and uh, and they need to see some results.
2: History says when you turn over large numbers of a squad in a club competition like the A League, uh, you're going to struggle.
0: The Wanderers have done that. Okay, and the last well they have has been four, I think it's fourteen players have moved on. It might even be as much as eighteen. Last game on Sunday, gents. uh, Central Coast Mariners up against the Phoenix. Mariners have scored. Now, this is a fun little stat. The Mariners have scored goals in their last 12 A-League matches but managed just one goal on 10 of those occasions. So, Tony Walmsley, he's wanting to play this free attacking style but he's not really getting the goals at this point and no player has created more chances or assists for his teammates than... Phoenix's Michael McGlinchley. So, an interesting game up at Gosford on Sunday. Fabulous stuff, Mark. We will welcome you back later on in the program.
1: You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgeley on Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport on digital radio, streaming on the NTS app. And you can also search for NTS on TuneIn Radio. Up next, Dean Hannessy talking all things A League.
0: Box to Box. Can you
3: believe it? The chemist warehouse,
1: home of real brands and real savings. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Broadcasting on NTS News Talk Sport on digital radio and streaming on the NTS app. You can also search for us on TuneIn Radio. So welcome back and welcome also to Dean Hennessy talking all
2: things A-League. Well, we've got Football Royalty with us, Dean. Uh, uh, Rob, we should actually introduce Dean and let people know who he is because we know who he is. He is Football Royalty. He's the son of Tex. Uh, Terry Hennessy, over 400 games in the Old English First Division, the precursor to the Barclays Premier League. Uh, not only that, over 50 times captain of Wales. He's marked Palais. Dean's father is a legend. We're going to pump him up here. But not only that, Dean is the father of Matt. Matt Hennessy, last week, playing for Hume City in the FFA Cup semi-final. did his English exam in the morning and marked Ben in the in the evening. Fahid Ben Kalfala. I tell you what, that's pretty good. But don't forget, let's not. We're just not going to refer to Dean as you know son of Tex and mate. M- the father of Matt. No, 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 Dean also he, he played a few games. Dean actually played over two hundred games in the Victorian Premier League. He's coached, I think, five uh, Premier League uh, clubs successfully. Depending on whether you. Suggest avoiding relegation or not is a good result. I think it's a pretty good result. Um, but not only that, he's now the technical. He's, he's, uh, he's the old father time out at uh, Hume City. He's the technical director of Hume City, who were the FFA uh, Cup giant killers. Dino, welcome to Box to Box.
4: Well, thanks, Rob and Ed. Uh, that was a lovely introduction. Uh, it's great to be aboard, and uh, looking forward to. Uh looking at the A-League highlights from last week and also the up-and-coming week that we're we're looking forward to uh, this weekend.
1: Yeah, welcome, mate. And uh, look, as we said at the top of the show, we really do want to talk all things A-League and we want to talk with experts, uh, but we want to talk about the highlights of Round 4 to get started. So, mate, uh, take us away.
4: Well, look, it was a great round in Round 4. There were five victories, no draws, 16 goals, so plenty and plenty of action. Uh, Victories to Melbourne Victory to Western Wanderers, Uh, Brisbane Raw, Sydney FC, and also Newcastle Jets. But there were so many things we could have talked about, and I think I've just chosen most probably three of my favourite things that happened uh, on the weekend, which will then build it up into Round 5 to make it even more exciting.
1: Yeah, and Matt Simon's double was the first of those against the Mariners.
4: Look, it was. And, you know, Matt Simon leaving there in the pre-season just before, you know, like the season kicked off, um and then to come on and sub, score two goals, win the game. Um, and one of them was a great finish. So from his point of view, you know, he might have had a bit of mixed feelings, obviously, playing for the Mariners for so long, but fabulous finish. And most probably what came out of that as well was, um, it was a double whammy of the, the highlight reel, was we had Graham Arnold's celebration of the goals. And obviously there's, there's a, obviously a lot of feeling between obviously Graham Arnold who was coached at the Mariners and, and won there as, as a champion coach of the A-League, but also the fact that you know John Hutchinson, one of the assistants, is a player that played for him for many years. So there was a little bit of celebration from Arnie with regards to the goal that was scored, obviously, not just once but twice, and, uh, you know, a bit of feeling felt on the bench. Made it uh, made it really good theatre.
1: But that's one of the things I'm really liking about the A-League, though, is that uh, there's a lot of chopping and changing, a lot of moving around, a lot of players played for different clubs, coaches coaching different clubs, but it, it's adding to the tapestry that is the ongoing history that we're seeing created out of the competition.
4: Oh, it is. You know, like, there, there are players out there, and, and uh, Hutch was one of them, where he, he pretty well, apart from one little stint in Asia... Played his whole career at um, you know the one club at Central Coast Mariners, but on the flip side of that, when they do move, you know, and it's whether a coach moves or even a player moves, there is that part that does become the tapestry and the, and there's history and and it just really builds it to even a more exciting league.
2: Dean, there's a lot of emotive local issues at Central Coast. Um, how do you think the fans would have uh, would have felt about Matt Simon, you know, banging in those two goals, um, Graham Arnold giving a bit of lip to the to the bench? Um, do you think? I'm just sensing there's a bit of a divergence already. It's only round four, but some of the fans are not happy with the the brains trust at Central Coast.
4: No, look, it might be look, and it's it's a new duo, Um, you know, and it's always hard when they've had success and. really when the franchise started you know they've had good success and it's been a difficult franchise for them with you know where they're located but the supporters have stuck with them Uh, they've always played a decent brand of football but I think yeah look it's always hard when you go in there and and you're inexperienced let's say in elite terms and I think that's where Arnie comes into his own He's you know he's an international coach he's played internationally himself in in foreign countries he was a great National League you know, goal scorer. I remember watching him myself. Goal against him. Sorry, yeah, I'm talking about Graham Arnold. No, no, I'm he talking about his,
1: that nickname I used to love, Goal Yes, that's right. Oh, that's
4: exactly right. Exactly right. And I think what he does is he utilizes all that experience to use that against maybe some more inexperienced opposition. And again, that makes back to what you were talking about earlier, Rob, about the theatre. Mm. So I think Central Coast has just got to stick together. I mean, there's, there obviously are some internal things. You know, with Liam Reddy and what's happened with the PFA. So, yeah, there's most probably a bit more to read out there.
1: I think. Yeah, and you talk about that tapestry and uh, and the colour and the vibrancy. It was a, there were twenty five thousand people at Eddie Had Stadium. Um, it felt like there were 50,000 people there. Uh, the question then is, should it have been played at Amy? Because it would have been just about a full house heaving against the Phoenix. But Bessart Barisha, what more can you say about that bloke? He had a slightly slow start with his victory career, but, uh, geez, that slow start uh, is is long gone in terms of history. And uh, my favourite was, well, look, the way he dodged and weaved after geeflinker put put that ball uh, into him into the box to, to, uh, to score that first goal. But the desperation of that second well,
4: goal... I think, you know, that that's you know when we talk about characters and what people bring to the game. I mean, we've got imports that have come over. You know, your Dwight Yorks in the early days, your Del Piero's in recent times. And they've you know, been a really, really good thing for the league and the brand. But when you look about an individual, a single individual, that stands out for most probably for me, the best asset that's ever happened to the A-League, and, and that's Bashar Barisha. Um, to see what he's achieved at Brisbane Raw... He's now then gone and done the same thing at Melbourne Victory. I've seen him in close quarters, obviously, with the Hume City Cup run, and we've played them twice in friendlies and now, obviously, in, a, in an FA Cup semi-final. And the work rate the man's got, he, he actually not only leads the charge on his own, but he's actually dragging his teammates along with him. So it's a great example to the young players in their squad and scores goals. I mean, if he was doing all of that and not scoring goals, you'd still say he'd be a great asset, but he just bangs goals in for fun. And again, he's, you know, he's bagged another pair there. He scored in every um, every round of the FFA Cup. And he's a major reason why these teams start winning championships.
2: He certainly has kick Melbourne victory season. No question about that, Dean. Let's look ahead to Friday night's match. Um, obviously, Sydney and Brisbane, one and two. A big game. Brisbane's made some early statements. What's your take on the match?
4: Look, it is the game of the round. It's first versus second. Um, they both had fabulous starts. Um, Obviously, Brisbane Roar's situation slightly different where they've got a new coach in. And John Alarissi, who we all really know really well, not only from his Australian goal that's most probably sent us to another level, uh, but also in his coaching time at Melbourne um, Melbourne City. Um, so, you know, we know John, and he's, I think he's done a really good job. I think there's a, there's a few highlights in there reel from when you look at some of the players that are really playing well. You know, we talk about the Matthew Mackay's settled really Well, in there and getting that midfield role where most probably Luke Bratton used to sit in there. Uh, The thing I'm more excited about them is more the Brandon Borello and the Jamie McLaren uh, linking together, scoring three last week between them. And um, the scoring goals are the top goal scorers in the league. And and I think young Jack Inga's really like, you know, he's had to fight that position out with the boy Pelens that they signed from Western Wanderers. But in a couple of games, he's assisted and he's gone on great runs with his pace. And I just think that, you know, Brisbane seem to be hitting the straps really early on and, and it looks like it's going to be a really positive season for them.
2: Absolutely, Dean. What about uh, Saturday's game, uh, Newcastle and Western Sydney Wanderers? Newcastle had a couple of amazing results away from home uh, with a threadbare squad. We know the trouble's up there. Um, this is really an important game for Western Sydney Wanderers considering the start they've had. What's your take on that?
4: Well, I think Newcastle Jets most probably have a surprise package so far. Um, you know, we all know what the troubles were last year, it was pretty well documented, as did Western Sydney Wanderers. Um uh, they're most probably from a Western Wanderers point of view, they've got off to a better start edge. And, but I think with Newcastle Jets, they're they're just running on a on a high, you know, they've picked up nine points, they're uh, currently third in the table. They're gonna be really confident, having beaten victory there last time out, that they can actually go and win it again and stay in that top one, two or three position. So Look, I was probably thinking uh, Newcastle Jets, just based on maybe some of the inconsistencies we do still get with Western Sydney Wanderers, even though you know they got a result last week against Perth Glory. I just fancy Newcastle Jets uh, on Saturday.
1: And briefly, mate, the Central Coast Mariners, Wellington and Perth Glory victory, just a tip on those two matches.
4: I think just on that, I mean, I think we just documented the Central Coast issues. Uh, yeah, they're at home. Wellington, Phoenix... They've not got off to a bad start six points if they were to go there and win. And I know they've had troubles off the park as well. But if they were there to win, all of a sudden they'd find themselves in the top half of the table. So I've got a feeling that might be a draw. Um, And on the big one, I mean, I didn't touch on Sydney FC. But for me, I just think Arnie has just got all that experience behind him. And I fancy at home with Schmelz and Brosk and Dimitrovic in the midfield. I I can't see Sydney getting beat in a really, really tight affair.
1: Magnificent, mate. Well, we'll be talking to you live in the studio next week. Enjoy the rest of your break up in Port Douglas where you're sunning yourself there, mate. Uh, Dean, thank you so much. We'll talk to you next week.
4: Thanks, Rob.
0: Thanks, Edge. Yeah, look forward
1: to it. Box to Box. Can you
3: believe it? For Chemist Warehouse.
0: Home of real brands and real savings. And this could be the most crucial goal of all.
1: Welcome back. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley on NTS News Talk Sport on digital radio, streaming on the NTS app, and you can also search for NTS on TuneIn Radio. Next up, we've got Sebastian Hassett, one of the most respected sports writers in Australia in all sport, but the man to talk to when it comes to the Australian domestic game. He knows all around the ins and outs of every story in the A-League, but one of the questions on everyone's lips right now is, what's going on with the Wellington Phoenix and the FFA, Seb?
5: Gentlemen, uh, pleasure to join you. And, and yeah, look, it certainly has been an incredible uh, week or couple of weeks uh, on this front. Uh, I mean, for all intents and purposes, I think everybody uh, thought Wellington were, were just, a, just another team, you might say, there, and that they were going along without too many dramas. Um, but you know, their, their sheer existence has been plunged in, into total chaos um, by what the FFA is. Sort of re- really come to in denying them a ten-year license, only saying to them, "You know what? We won't, we won't even accept ten. We'll, we'll give you the chance to apply for four. We won't even guarantee you that." Now their license technically runs out at the end of this calendar year, so of course, uh, obviously, they would see out this season. Um, but really, after that, I mean, their their whole existence is in jeopardy now, gentlemen. And, and exactly what happens from here is very much up for debate. Um, And what they bring to the league, I think all these things are going to get thrashed out. And and look, I genuinely don't know what's going to happen. I really don't. I I think that the FFA is really playing a wait-and-see approach now. I think they've almost overplayed their hands in in some respects in trying to sort of flush them out. But uh, the response that we'll see from, from Wellington, the club and the people and the supporters over there... I think will really determine their existence
1: going forward. And David Gallop certainly didn't help the situation uh, when he said no club has the right to squat on a licence and Frank Lowy went further, telling the um, Sydney FC officials, uh, including Graham Arnold and the Phoenix, to just get on with it. Now, I mean, that sort of suggests to me, as an observer and a close-hand watcher of the A-League since uh, it began, that um, that's almost like a a kick-out sort of uh, comment um, that suggests... We don't want you here anymore.
5: Yeah, I think that's pretty fair to read into it. Um, I certainly read it that way. I was surprised at at how pointed the message was. I mean, usually when it comes to Frank Lowy and David Dellop, their their messages are a little bit more nuanced, uh, perhaps a, a little bit more conciliatory. But on this occasion, look, I mean, to say that one of the clubs who... they haven't really been a source of concern. Mm. They haven't really been a problem child in any way, shape or form. In fact, I think they've been one of the more solid citizens since they came into the a League. To say that they're squatting on a licence was quite an extraordinary comment, I thought. But it probably gave a really good insight into where the FFA is thinking. And when you say squatting on a licence, that means you're not doing enough. And basically, we need we need teams who are going to be uh, high achievers. And right now, based on what the Phoenix have been bringing to the table, to this point, it probably hasn't been enough. But I do think it will spark uh, the people, people in Wellington and across New Zealand into action.
2: Seb, you know the FFA well. Um, you know that when they release public statements, they don't um, just... Do things off the cuff. They actually considered yeah. them deeply. Um, it was it was a very direct message. What's happening behind the scenes? As Wellington, have they not been engaging correctly? Have they been taking for granted their position in the A League? Um, is the whole New Zealand experience underwhelming for the FFA? Does it do the politics of Asian football and Oceania play into this in any way? I mean, there must be yeah. reasons why the FFA has reacted so strongly because they could have taken a number of path pathways here. They could have, you know, they could have made the decision that. Wellington's not in the long-term plans, but you know, dealt with it privately behind the scenes and and put out public messages like they were reviewing the situation. There was a there was a lot of options they had, uh, but they really did smack them over the back of the head.
5: Yeah, I, I think all the reasons you've just sort of touched upon there actually sort of almost added up, uh, you might say, and and that's sort of uh, surprising, just because of they haven't been a problem club, and you just would have thought that at this point. Um, The FFA would have sought stability. But I think the key thing here is timing. And the key thing about everything that we know in the modern professional world of sport uh, is money. And what brings in money into the A League? Television rights.
1: What brings the most TV
5: ratings? Yep. Go ahead, mate. Uh, What brings in the most TV ratings? And there's uh, far and away, it's derbies. Melbourne Derby and Sydney Derby rate their, their socks off like finals, basically. And they know full well that if they could get more derbies and they could get more teams in those big cities, they think that they'd be able to tap into a, a broader population base and therefore be able to make it a more attractive proposition to the broadcasters. What the Phoenix brings to the table in terms of ratings is very, very little on both sides of the Tasman. And that's where there's a real problem because. Sky Sports New Zealand, they contribute what could best be described as a nominal figure to TV rights. So, when you add those things up, their crowds have been falling a little bit. Although they have, they have had some great crowds in the past, and I think some of them might come back now. Uh, I think the FFA has been doing the numbers and, and saying, look, we you just haven't been bringing what what is required.
2: Seb, does New um, Zealand politics play into this? Um, you know, they're branded Wellington Phoenix to the pe- people in Auckland. Do they give? Uh, you know, do they do they really care about the Phoenix? Is it just a Wellington thing? I understand the the viewing audience of the Phoenix games in New Zealand is extremely low. Um, those things must be playing yeah. into it as well.
1: And before you go yeah. ahead, Seb, I just wanted to add to that comment. I spoke to uh, a, a big sports fan, Kiwi mate of mine, the other day, and asked him that very question. He's from uh, Christchurch, and he said, "Well." I'm not going to go for them. I spend half my life hating um, every other province in uh, in uh, New Zealand. In in the the other code that I follow, of course, you know the religion of New Zealand being rugby. Why mm. would I go for a team that's that's named after Wellington? And and that seems to me to be the, one of the fundamental errors in the in the whole
5: project. Well, I mean, we did have a New Zealand named team, and they were called the New Zealand Knights, and they were the mm. biggest flop the A League's ever seen. So I, I don't necessarily subscribe to that. And I also think the fact that when they've played in Auckland in guest games they've had over 20,000 people turn up and when they played in Christchurch I think they had 15,000 turn up. So, they've only got 3,000 uh, members. Well look I mean uh, absolutely there, there are some anomalies here that back up the potential that exists there. The fact that in, in, the only, in only their third season they had the second highest crowd of the whole season 32,000 for a final. I mean with we struggle to get that in, in some of our major markets, including here in, in, in Sydney, possibly yeah probably only Melbourne Victory could really compete with those numbers. So the potential is definitely there. That's something that I, I think has probably been overlooked in all of that. And I think the question is what what we probably need to do if, if if we were to look at sort of how can we make the team work rather than how can we kill them is to go, Well where are those fans? How do we re engage them? whether they need a new arena. I'm, I'm a fairly frequent visitor over to Westpac Stadium, and I can tell you guys, it is an impressive facility, but completely inappropriate uh, for the A-League, unfortunately. Oh, they, and, and,
2: this is what their 10-year licence was all about, was getting a boutique stadium and, and uh, I, trying to under underpin under, uh, their viability moving forward. They've
5: got to get these things sorted out, guys. I think that's... Look, hopefully... I'm actually a, a bit of a supporter for the team, because I think they've got... I think they bring more to the table than people think, and I would like to see them included. I'd like to see the A-League expand, absolutely. But I hope this is the cattle prod that gets them to sort out those sorts of issues. So well, they've got to get on the Wellington City Council. They've got to get on the New Zealand government. They've got to get everyone singing from the same song sheet for a new stadium. They need the fans to come back to the game. Because if they don't, then, you know what, maybe the FFA does have a point in, in pursuing their options closer to home.
2: Well, it sounds like Chairman Frank has well and truly given them a rocket, so we'll see how that plays out. But just assuming that, you know, Wellington's uh, going to go up in smoke, uh, mm-hmm. we're not going to have a, a presence from New Zealand. Uh, obviously, the the big story that blew up and the, the big PR battle that between um you know, uh, Chairman Barlow and Chairman De Frank, and then obviously the second uh, PR message from the FFA, which was pretty direct to the guys at Sydney, which was you know don't get don't get too far out of your uh, comfort zone. Um, this realistic option of a third team in in metropolitan Sydney, uh, you know, what is behind it? Um, how do you feel about it? I mean, you've got your finger on the pulse. What are the natives saying? Look,
5: the prospect guys of a, of a team in. A third team in Sydney is is something that uh, has been on the books for a while. It's been something that everyone has been thinking and talking about here for some time. Whether, it was foresaw, whether we all foresaw that it would happen this fast, potentially as soon as next season, I don't think anyone saw coming, however. The fact that the FFA is the one driving it is probably the biggest surprise, I think, to me. I mean, it makes sense when you think about what their motivation is in terms of what I just spoke about before in terms of the TV money, in terms of getting more eyeballs on the game, uh, the appeal to broadcasters, sponsors and so on. That all makes a lot of sense, but it's the speed at which it's happening um, that I think would surprise a lot of people, considering um, how quickly they got the Wanderers up and running. But I think that experience has emboldened them. I think they're looking Mm. at what they did in Western Sydney and they're going, hey, guys, we did that in the space from the announcement. We did that. Six months later, they were kicking their first competitive ball against the Central Coast Mariners on a Saturday night. And I, I for one, couldn't believe how quickly they were able to turn that around successfully. I think there's a lot more challenges this time around, um, not least the fact that there are... Sydney is fairly well divided up at the moment. Um, The balance is actually very good. Whether we need to rush into a third team, I don't know. But it is a sprawling... Area. It's, it's an enormous area Sydney that, that really is much more divided than Melbourne and it wouldn't surprise me in the future if, if a team in, in the southern Sydney area was successful because probably to get maybe to uh, Allianz Stadium or to get to Parramatta Stadium might be a minimum of 30 minutes so that you could argue that there's 2 million people who aren't being wholly serviced by the two existing teams. Although I think right now at the moment I think it's I, I think the market is being reasonably well met. So it's a, it's a juggling act. I think the FFA is really looking into the future, though. I think they're going, well, you know, what? Well, we, we can say that at the moment it might be fine, but 10 years down the track, wouldn't we rather have that, that extra presence? Wouldn't we rather have mm. those extra derbies? Wouldn't we rather be creating those extra dollars thumbs on seats, eyeballs on television screens. So I think that's what's motivating them at the
1: moment. Massive questions, Seb, mate. You answer them brilliantly, and uh, all of our listeners will uh, be watching this space because they are two huge questions. Just what the future of the A-League looks like. Is it going to be an Australasian A-League or is it going to be a localised A-League? We'll watch and see what happens, mate. Thank you very much, Seb. We'll talk to you
0: next week. Thanks, guys. Box to Box. Can you believe- The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And this could be the most crucial goal of all.
1: Welcome back to NTS News Talk Sport on digital radio, streaming on the NTS app and also via TuneIn Radio. Next up, we've got Ben Summerford talking about all the Socceroo action going on around the country. Not specifically the games coming up, but about all of the players who are contenders around this uh, uh, vast world of football that we live in. So, Edge, tell us a little bit more about
2: our next guest. Well, Ben uh, writes for the Green and Gold Army on our website. Um, he keeps us up to date with all the latest information on the Socceroos, how they're going, and you can catch him on uh, ggarmy.com and also uh, with 442. He's an outstanding writer. He's travelled with us to World Cups. And, Ben, welcome to the first edition of Box to Box. Thanks, Ed. Yeah, good to be here. Tell us, um, I mean, you, you, you cover the Socceroos players like no one other. You've been doing it for a long time. Um we're coming to an interesting um, time in our qualification period. Uh, and There's a lot a lot of jockeying with, with players. Uh, the first uh, sort of uh, comment that I want to make and get your feedback on is, um, I think um, never before has the A-League been so prevalent in Socceroos. So we've seen uh, Socceroos selection. We've seen sort of Aaron Moy uh, develop here in the A-League, and he's, he potentially is a starting eleven player. Um, and no longer is it just about uh, who's performing in Europe. How do, you, how do you rate that based on your experience of following the Socceroos at Clubland in Europe so closely over a long period of time?
6: Yeah, I suppose it's all part of a generational change we've seen in the last probably decade where, you know, the 2006 World Cup, we had guys like Chalina, Cahill, Kill, some big clubs in Europe and uh, naturally it's, it's changed and the guys over there now are playing for smaller clubs and, and naturally there's some really good talent still in the A-League and um, given the league's growth over the past, I suppose five years especially, um, those players are actually playing at a pretty high standard, comparable to Europe. So, uh, I think it's natural and it's exciting. Um, obviously, it's um, you know when people get to see players week in week out, you get to realise how good they are, and uh, there's probably some good players in Europe who we don't don't see enough of. But um, yeah, I think it's really uh, beneficial for the national team. Guys like Aaron Moore are a perfect example.
1: And, Ben, what does that mean for some of the, the, the young players that have, uh, have taken the decision to, to go offshore? I mean, i give you an example. Jackson Irvine with Ross County. He's uh, now got two caps with the Socceroos. Does this mean that uh, players like him, who are playing in the far-flung leagues and some of the lesser leagues uh, down the divisions, may well choose to come back home and play in the A-League? Yeah, it, it's it's
6: hard to be prescriptive on this one. I think there's there's two, two ways to the argument, and there's no right or wrong, really. Um, both are good options. Um, sometimes you find yourself at a club in Europe and it doesn't work out, and um, you have to come back home to the A-League. And sometimes you stay in the A-League and it doesn't work out there either. So, um, you know, it just depends on the player. Um, but it is another option, which is which can only be good for the soccer roots. It can only be um, another avenue to strengthen the side, get players playing more regularly. So that's that's only a positive.
0: Ben Mark Van Aken here, made a snuck back into the studio. Uh, interesting to hear what you just said, that there's some players that don't get uh, what they deserve in terms of getting put in the limelight. You're a guy that watches them. Give us a list of two or three of those that we, that we aren't sort of hearing about that you think are the next big thing.
6: Mm, well, well, Jackson Irvine's a perfect one. Besides him. They're doing great things in Scotland. <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, I had a really good year last year with Ross County, we were a really small club and somehow survived. And he probably found his feet late in the season and they went on a good run. Um, so he's a, he's a really good example um, I mean, you look at your England's leagues, and there's already a couple who've popped up. James Meredith, one who's popped up, and I'm not sure if he's going to be a regular soccerer, but he's certainly a good player. Um, guys like Adam Federici, who's been doing it for you know the past decade, really very underrated goalkeeper. Um, so there's, a, there's a long list of guys who um, you know really have probably probably become forgotten players and, and fallen out of uh, view, I suppose. But yeah, they, they've, you know, had really good careers.
2: Ben, let's get down to some, some specifics. Uh, Millet Yedinek, you know, he's our captain. Um, he has been the barometer for the team uh, right in the lead-up to the Brazil World Cup. He, he performed very well in Brazil. He's not getting a game for Crystal Palace. How worried should we be about Milet and his future?
6: I don't think we should be too worried at this stage. Um, you know, he's next in line. He's behind Yaelen Cabal, who's you know, France international, a really good player. Um, James McArthur, who's a, a really talented midfielder for, for Palace as well, so you know he's coming off the bench and getting minutes. I know it's not a lot, but he is clearly next in line. Um, I suppose it's just the system that Pardew employing at the moment at Palace, and um, you know McArthur can be more creative than, than Yenak. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if one of those guys goes elsewhere in January, and Millet will find himself back in the side. So I think you probably need to assess at the end of the season um, if he, you know, if he's still third in line. not getting the games he needs, and that's when he probably needs to ponder what next to him.
1: And Tommy Urich in some pretty good form in Holland.
6: He's going, mate, yeah. It's it's been really pleasing to see that a guy has come straight out of the A-League, stepped into a really good standard league, and and, hit the ground running. I think he scored four goals in five or six games. And I spoke to Ange last week after the squad announcement. He was was very excited about his form. Um, Always good to make a good impression. Uh, on a club when you just arrived there. Um, so that that only bodes well for him. Uh, and I think he made the point that guys like Eurich, James Troisi, Tim Cato are scoring goals. So Australia have got good attacking options at the moment, which is probably something we haven't had the last probably 12, 18 months.
0: Talk me through Tom Rogic, because every time I tune in to a European game with Celtic, uh, he doesn't get a sniff, but he seems to be doing really well in the actual SPL. But what's the reason that he's not sort of getting that... Uh, Getting the start in the European game, but firing on all cylinders in Scotland.
6: <laughs> they've got a they've got a big squad as they always do, mm-hmm. and um, there's a bit of a rotation going at Celtic. But as to why he doesn't get the go in the Europe European games, I'm, I'm not too sure to be honest. But I mean, look at the weekend. He was he was outstanding for Celtic. I think he was one of the best players on the field. He set up a goal and um, you know caused all sorts of issues for, uh, for Aberdeen. I think it was. So yeah, you know he's, he's coming on in leaps and bounds. Probably still nursing the body a little bit. He had a really tough eighteen months, I suppose. So maybe they're just trying to manage him still, and um, you know those flights to far far flung places maybe not uh, not really agreeing
2: with him. And the Socceroos' own Benjamin Button, Tim Cahill, just penned another deal <laughs> in China. Um, added a few uh, a few rooms to his mansion in Sydney. I'm sure. Um, how long can we, I mean, it's an obvious question? Socceroos fans talk about it all day. You know, how long can we continue? To expect him to be uh, giving us the reason, giving us the the input and the and the time that he does at at the elite international level.
6: Yeah, it's well, he continues to surprise us, doesn't he? Um, he's inked the one year deal, so that's obviously to the end of of twenty sixteen um, in China. Uh, obviously, their the season runs different to the way it does in Europe. So, um, you know, he'll still be playing at a reasonable level for that period, and, and who knows what, what's happening beyond that? I don't know if he's really ever really entertain the A-League too much. And,
7: um, yeah,
6: it's hard to say with Timmy. He's really surprised us in the past. and uh, he's, he's talked about going to Russia. That's still a long way away, but you never know. Um, oh, I'm a huge fan of Cahill, so you never know.
0: Talking to Ben Summerford from ggarmy.com and 442. Talk us through Luke Bratton. He's an interesting one. Obviously uh, left the A-League, got signed by Man City, uh, now on loan at Bolton. You've been keeping your eye on him?
6: I have, yeah. You know, I think you know, Bretton was left out of the soccer squad uh, last week. Obviously, hasn't played for a long time, so he's, you know, he's made a really good move to, to England now, which is exciting. But at the moment, he just needs to get um, a, bit of, a bit of game time into him. He played for, for Bolton's under twenty ones on Monday and played a full ninety minutes, which is, which is positive for him. Uh, probably still a few weeks away, you'd say, from being in their first team. Um, but a really exciting time for him and again Ange last week was really bullish about his chances of, of succeeding in, in England. Um, you know, Man City's a huge club and it's gonna be tough to break in there but um you know, a move like that opens doors and, and you never know what's, what's happening
1: for him. Thanks, Ben. Mate, magnificent work, a fantastic insight. And I know the boys agree that this is the sort of uh, fodder that, that every Socceroo fan, regardless of what club uh, domestically that you follow or internationally you follow, they, they want to hear this sort of detail. And equally, they want to know from an expert, but they also want to know that Ange is really keeping an eye on, on the players wherever they're playing because the, the player themselves, their families, their managers and so on, they're all the ones that really want to know about it. Thanks, Ben.
6: Uh, no problem.
1: Pleasure. Well done, mate. So that's almost the first hour of the first edition of Box to Box, guys. We've got a huge hour coming up next. We've got uh, out of the break, we've got John Cosmina coming up to talk about uh, the FFA Cup this weekend and the uh, fixtures for the, uh, the, uh, the Socceroos. We've got the magnificent John Stensholt. I just love listening to him and everything he's got to say about the business of the game. And, of course, our own correspondent on everything in Europe, Ben Soro-Perez, with his debut edge so uh you and mark will join us in the next hour this is box to box on nts news talk sport on digital radio streaming on the nts app you can also also search for us on any number of, of various apps but one of my favorites is tune in radio so go into the search engine punch in tune in radio and look for nts so this is the first hour of box to box a lot more coming up after the break box
3: to box we're Chemist Warehouse.
0: Home of real brands and real savings. And this could be the most crucial goal of all.
1: Welcome back. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgeley. The name it. Has- our intro said is box-to-box box on NTS News Talk Sport, on digital radio, streaming on the NTS app, and you can also find us on TuneIn Radio. We've had a massive first hour, but an even bigger second hour coming up. We've got John Stenzholt from the Australian Financial Review. We're going to talk about business and his book on the first 10 years of the A-League. We've got Ben Soro perez talking about all things Europe later on in the show. But first up, one of the... Honoured statesman of Australian football, soccer roo legend. He's done it all in the game. He doesn't need a magnificent introduction from me because we all know who he is. We're going to talk about the soccer and we're going to talk about the FFA Cup with John Cosmina. Welcome, welcome, John.
8: No, not a problem,
1: Rob. Thanks, Now, fantastic, mate. And look, uh, I guess where do we start? Uh, the FFA Cup tradition continues year two. It's magnificent. But I think what we really want to talk about is uh, is the Socceroos and uh, and the and the match next week in Canberra against Kyrgyzstan, and then and really uh, as to whether we go to Bangladesh. So, uh, so what's your take on this match? Uh, from uh, all the, uh, accounts and all the numbers, it seems that if we can beat Kyrgyzstan and get the three points banked, then the Bangladesh issue sort of tends to fade into uh, the background.
8: Well, are we playing in Bangladesh? Has that been confirmed yet?
1: No, it hasn't. And that's the query that's still up in the air right, as to whether the decision occurs at all or not. Does the question tie into to the game or is it purely a political one? So, no, we don't have the answer to that yet, Cosie.
8: Well, we go up to Kyrgyzstan. I, look, I, we, we didn't struggle over there, but um, it was a hard game for us because... Um, Playing in that region of the world is always difficult. Um, we ended up coming back with the three points and we were just too good in the end. But um, I think the, the bigger issue is how um, your Kyrgyzstans and your Tajikistans and, and things like that will travel to Australia. And I think it's it's gonna, it affects them a lot more than it does us. So whilst next week won't be an easy game, it's a game that we, we can't or well, we shouldn't lose. Uh, and we definitely can't afford to lose it because we're... Four points behind Jordan now in the group. And um, we do have a game in hand on them. So that means we would fall further behind. But I can't see the the Socceroos losing that match next week. Ange Poster-Codden's brought um, a couple of players back into the squad. You know, Matty Ryan's back in. Um, For one, I don't know if he'll start. Uh, Mila Yednak is the other. He hasn't been playing that much, so we'll just wait and see.
2: Cozzy, just, uh, well, you mentioned Jordan. Obviously, they're our rivals in the group. Um, just thinking back to the the match uh, that we recently played and lost, first time we've lost a game for a while. Um, what was your take out of that? And uh, was there any worrying signs? And, um, you know, how um, how would have the team taken that? Because I, I, expecting, I was expecting that they would have expected to go there and win.
8: I think um, the way Ange manages more so than coaches is that um, he encourages and instills a lot of self-belief in the team. So the players probably wouldn't have dwelt too much on the loss, um, and that's not a bad way to be. It's up to the, the coaching staff to, to tweak the little things that will make a difference um, next time around when it's important. Um, I thought we got exposed um, for a lack of pace at the back Um you know, the penalty, for example, that, that Jordan scored was um, it was a ball over the top and um, we just weren't made of it, just wasn't quick enough and ended up committing the foul that they brought about the penalty. Uh, look, we played well enough, we had opportunities to score, but um, it, it's not always going to work out how you want. And plays very narrow in the front third of the pitch. Um, so sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. I think his biggest um, issue you cut got to deal with is that an embarrassment of riches in that front half of the pitch. And let's now, not forget...
1: This... Sorry, Matt, I was just going to say, let's not forget, we, we didn't do it easy against Kyrgyzstan. They almost equalised early in the second half in that game away. Um, yeah, th- they they do prove uh, a, a dangerous banana skin if uh, we're not on our game.
8: <clears throat> excuse me, yes, it is, but it... Um... <coughs> oh, excuse me. But am going to be able to wear home. And I think, as I said earlier, the Aussies travel a lot better than the opposition do.
1: Yeah, well, that's a good point. I guess the the nature of the uh, the, the Asian sides uh, over the journey's proven that. Uh, you just look at that Jordan result. Uh, it's a different team when they come to to Australia, and then they play uh, at home in front of the parochial local crowd. They lift, and uh, and and we saw what happened. But uh, I guess the fact that we've all seen the Asian Cup and what a competitive uh, competition that that was. Uh, admittedly, we played uh, brilliantly generally throughout, and uh, and we ought to be able to bring some of that form to uh, to the match against a side like Kyrgyzstan. But if, as we segue into the conversation about Bangladesh, uh, we don't go there and uh, the uh, FIFA decision is that we should and we choose not to, then we forfeit and we hand over the three points, then all the pressure gets piled on. Does that decision happen before Kyrgyzstan? Is there pressure from the FFA to FIFA to make the decision before? That's all up in the air, isn't it? And and it puts added pressure on, on this Canberra game.
8: Yeah, well, as like I said, you know, one of Ange's, Ange Foster Cogler's greatest strengths is, is, is man management. Um, and the players will be focused on the here and now, which is the game um, next Thursday night, no, or Tuesday night, the 12th, yeah, sorry, um, next Thursday night. Mm-hmm. So um, they won't worry too much about Bangladesh um, until the need arises. You've got to, as a footballer, and especially in a, in a tournament or a a group stage scenario like we're in at the moment. You've just got to to do what you've got to do when you need to do it Um, and then get the result you need. Worry about what you have to do in a week or 10 days or a month's time afterwards.
2: Cosy, just a couple of um, narrow questions. Has Aaron Moy uh, consolidated his his place in the starting eleven. in your opinion?
8: I think he played well in the, the last game. He... I think he's probably got to grow into his Socceroo role and as I said before, I think Ange has an embarrassment of riches in that front half of the pitch. Now, if Aaron Moyd plays alongside either Miller Yenak or Mark Milligan, um, what do you do with Tom who who is a very creative number 10, what do you do with Mask who doesn't really suit starting in a higher and wider position as he has in the last couple of games, so that you can fit Tommy Rogic and Aaron Moy into midfield. So that's what I mean. Ange's got a bit of juggling to do. Um, You've got to look at what's the best outcome for uh, that particular situation. Now, for me, Moy um, is a good player. He's a very good player. Um, Whether he is a consistent soccerer yet uh, remains to be seen. And as I said, I don't think Ange will maybe give Millet a start. He hasn't played much. Since returning from injury for Crystal Palace, it seems like he might even be on the out there. So, you know, Mark Milligan will definitely start. And uh, Aaron, I would expect Aaron Moore to play alongside of him. And uh, then you're looking at Tommy Roberts or Max Now, Tommy's had two games. Maybe Mass can go back into that number 10 role that he played in the Asian Cup so effectively. All
2: well, interesting thoughts, Cozzy. Um, Just Let's just think about Bangladesh for a moment. In your career, do you ever remember a time when um, you were concerned or worried about a place that you were going to go and play for the Socceroos?
8: No, not really. There wasn't. Um, I mean, I played in Israel a couple of times, and uh, it was probably. Um, I mean, that was interesting in that you know they they weren't at war with anybody, but they live in a fairly volatile situation. Uh, but we were probably more concerned about getting out of the ground afterwards because we 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 won, and uh, Ben Gurion Stadium there, and, and but it wasn't. Um, it's you, never really feared for your life. I suppose this is a totally different scenario because there is a there is a terror threat there, and uh, the cricket team have already cancelled mm. their tour. Um, you know, one would know, that I've always sort of had this underlying belief, and maybe it's a bit um, blase of me, but um, I think um, football might be one step too far if you know what I mean, mm. because it's it, football is actually a very important part of the the social fabric of all the countries in the Middle East
1: But You're you're saying you think that they wouldn't go there and that that we should take the risk and play the game
8: Um, Look, it's it's a hard one I personally as a player um, I think I would like to go Mm. Um, but it's not a decision that I guess the players get to make, it's a decision that's made by either the FFA in consultation with the government and um, the way governments are these days, that it, um, they're it, uh, certainly going to err on the side of caution, aren't
1: they? That's right, Cosy. Yeah, and it's a massive, massive decision if you get it wrong. Uh, we don't want to go there. So uh, yeah, yeah. I guess we've speculated enough on that. We've got a little bit of time left, mate. Um, give us uh, your brief uh, sixty-second preview of the FFA Cup and how you see that one playing out.
8: It should be a cracking final. I mean, Melbourne victory at home. Um, played really, really well against Wellington on Monday night. Um, basically the perfect um, practice match for a cup final coming up in six days' time. Um, they're in form. Perth aren't. Perth will be in their second successive FA Cup final. FFA Cup, sorry. And uh, they didn't perform all that well in, uh, in Sydney last weekend against the Wanderers, but it almost was as if their minds were on this Saturday night rather than the game that they were playing in, um, at the Wanderers. So it's going to be a good one. I think, in the end, Melbourne at home will certainly be too good for Perth. It, uh, it should be a good match. But Perth are, are battlers. you know they, they made West Sydney really fight for the three points last week, and although they didn't play all that well, um, they still caused them some problems. They may have um, a few players back, like Diego Castro and um, and Georgie Sandor, who I think have, have uh, still yet to, to really put their stamp on the A-League this season, but certainly the players that we'll need to watch
1: out for in the weeks to come. And the score, victory up by how many, mate? Oh,
8: so I think Perth may be capable of one, but victory will
1: be a 2-3-1 or three, one win. 2-3-1 or three, one win to Perth. Cosy. magnificent as always, mate. You're succinct, you're decisive, you, uh, you call it as you see it, and, uh, and we're all ears when we're listening to you, mate. You're going to be a fundamental part of this program as we go forward, and uh, we're really grateful for your time this evening. John Cosmina.
0: Thank you. Box to Box. Can you believe it? The
1: Warehouse,
0: Home of real brands and real savings. And this could be the most crucial goal of all.
1: And you are on Box to Box on NTS with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgeley on digital radio, streaming on the NTS app and also on TuneIn Radio. Just hit TuneIn Radio. Find the search bar, type in NTS, and there you have it. So welcome back, and we've got a guest we're really looking forward to talking to. He's one of the most authoritative uh, spokespeople on sport and business in this country. Uh, he's written a magnificent book on the first 10 years of the League. We want to talk to him about both those subjects. John Stensalt, sports business feature writer with the Australian Financial Review, amongst many strings to his bow. Great, uh, great to have John on board, isn't it, Edge?
2: Absolutely, and uh, let's get straight into it. The the Barclays Premier League is a commercial juggernaut. John, we know that uh, the UK domestic rights alone yielded the Premier League £5.1 billion for the next three year period. We know that the Premier League is in the process of concluding its international round of rights, and here in Australia, um, to some people, uh, surprisingly, uh, maybe surprisingly, awarded to Optus over the incumbent Fox Sports and a couple of other bidders. Global television insiders, they tell us the bidding process for the Barclays Premier League rights is purely brutal. It's all about money. Um, Incumbency really means little. Um, John, um, welcome to you. Um, We want to get into this because the fans want to know how on earth are we going to watch Barclays Premier League through Fetch TV? Or will it be something else?
3: Well, it's a very interesting question, gentlemen, and yeah, I think we're all a bit sort of uh, you know gobsmacked a bit this week that Optus, you know, essentially a telco, a, a mobile phone company, now has the rights to the English Premier League. Look, it's not um it's not unknown throughout the world. I mean, BT Sport in the UK, uh, well, you know, BT, which is you know which has risen from a uh, from what was a telco into what's going to you know get into uh, you know television and broadband, so on and so forth. Uh, that has some rights over there. So yeah, it's it's, it's happening here in Australia too. So. Look, what uh, Lou, the, um, the the Optus boss here in Australia has said to us in the Financial Review this week is that effectively it's going to look the same, but uh, which which is very nice on paper. It, it, I think that to me that means there's going to be some sort of a subscription TV service, and as you've alluded to, probably Fetch. Uh, there'll be uh, you know you'll be able to watch it digitally as well, and uh, may well involve iPad apps, uh, mobile phones, and uh, you know getting highlights the next day on your mobile and that sort of thing as well. So. Uh, It may look similar, uh, as I said on paper, but whether it has the reach uh, and the scope uh that you know, a Foxtel and Fox Sport indeed is another question altogether.
1: And, John, have you spoken to anyone at Optus to, to give you some background on, on, on what their plans are? Because you, you just go onto social media, you look at some of the comments pages on the, the newspapers, there's a lot of outrage out there. There are people that are, are, are filthy that uh, they've invested their money, they've committed, they think they've got this. They, but, you know, what they want, they want the Premier League, but they also want the A-League. And they're thinking, you know, I like a few other sports here and there. You know, am I just going to be reamed when it comes to uh, having to pay for all this stuff?
3: Yeah, it is a bit of decoupling of um, you know, the, what are essentially the two biggest sort of football assets. Although, you know, if we, we chuck the World Cup and uh, Euros, perhaps uh, you know, in there every two years or four years. Yeah, look, it is uh, you know it done very nicely for Fox, didn't it? You'd have a couple of games on Saturday night. Yeah, you know, maybe a game over in Perth, will that into a uh, led into an early EPL game or something like that. But uh, yeah, uh, is the consumer the winner out of this? Well, the problem is, I think uh, you know, the consumer will probably have to end up paying for both, or at least to start with. I wouldn't rule that off just going after some a league rights. The time goes on, but uh, uh, I don't think that necessarily means you know a full suite of uh, of television rights. I think what you might see, uh, and look, you know, they're certainly putting out the feelers as to where they can get the vision out to as much as possible. I wouldn't shock me if uh, you know a game or two ended up on you know free to air television. Uh, to add as almost like a taster for the rest of the coverage that Optus would have. But look, Optus have paid US $45 million or so for this, so they may need to make some sort of money back from it in return. So there's going to be a a subscription element to it, whether it's Fetch or whether you're paying for it, uh, you know, IPTV, uh, other ways, mobile, et cetera, et cetera. You're going to have to pay for it, which I guess is effectively what people are paying for now through Foxtel.
2: John, um, what's it mean for the FFA? You know, um, should they be bullish about a new entrant into the uh, the landscape of football television broadcast rights? Um, will Fox cell uh, change its uh, its strategy? Um, you know, will the FFA be happy uh, today, or will they be a little bit circumspect?
3: I think they were very intrigued by it, and they were a bit uh, gobsmacked by the amount of money that uh, that that uh, offers are paying for the rights. I mean, that US forty five million is 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 is, uh, is a lot more than uh what FFA are getting from Fox and SBS, you know, for the domestic rights at the moment. Oh, there's a couple of schools of thoughts on this one. You know, uh, without the EPL, uh, Fox Sports aren't going to really care much about football at all and uh, you know, may well dump the A league oh. The way I look at it is, is this way, and I think at the moment, and perhaps I'm being uh, more optimistic than pessimistic about it when it comes to Fox. They need content in the summertime. Now... Uh, most of their most of their sport, you know, the NRLs, the AFLs, the V8s, uh, and so on, is in our winter. They need uh, a compelling enough reason for people to keep their subscription up, up in the summer. And you've got to remember that, you've got to understand that they they have a reasonable amount uh, of people who do switch off, you know, for a few months over summer, get it back on when the footy's back on, so to speak. You know, the the other codes I'm talking about. Uh, they're going to need stuff in the summer. They lost the Big Bash cricket a couple of years ago to Channel Ten, if you remember. So it means that, uh, you know, look, the A-League, you know, for for, for its uh, trial and tribulations it's going through, uh, it does provide, you know, at the moment, what, uh, five games a week of live content every weekend. Uh, can you imagine uh, what, what Fox Sports may well look in the summertime without that? I mean, we're talking about a, a, a station or a business that has uh, five channels at the moment. They need stuff on it.
1: Absolutely, and as you say, uh, the, 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 the way that the Sporting landscape is being broken up uh, at the moment. Uh, I know this is a football program, but uh, but Fox Sports is uh, is under siege right now. They've been shut out of the uh, the NRL broadcast deal, and they're they're trying to get back in on the table. There, they've now just lost the Premier League. Uh, this starts to suggest uh, an entirely different landscape in terms of Australian consumption of of sport uh, on TV, on devices, etc.
5: Yeah,
3: absolutely. Look, they're, they're, they're going to deal themselves back in the game with the NRL. They're going to get that Saturday game back. And I, you know, there's a very strong mail about that. Channel 9 will give up some rights. So they will, I think, if, yeah, actually, I think what you probably see, now it depends on what uh, price tag they put to it, is they're going to get every NRL game. Like they have every uh, AFL game. The, the word coming out from them is they want live and they want local sport. Does that mean less international sport? Like the EPL, clearly, because they've lost that out. You know other football, they've had the La League, I remember as well, and other bits and pieces. Uh, I think that all is okay for the A League, but you know the, the rating—they're not happy with the ratings again this year. They're down again. They're, they're distinctly unimpressed with um, how the FFA has marketed the A League uh, at the start of the A League season, which you know really hasn't been much marketing at all. I mean, I can't think for the life of myself what, what advertising I've seen on TV, uh, you know, for an A League game or, or much advertising at all. So. Fox Sports aren't too happy, but uh, you know they're, they're probably going to have to go along and uh, you know, do some sort of co-investing uh, with the A-League and uh, help bankroll bank its improvement, which is what you're hearing David Gallup talk about these days. He wants uh, a television partner to come with him. Uh, well, it remains to be seen, but uh, like I said, I think Fox still needs stuff in the summer. And the A-League does provide them something.
2: John, that's sensational analysis, and um, we thank you for that. But you're not just here to talk about uh, the machinations of Optus and uh, football broadcasting rights. You have published a book that every soccer fan in Australia should read, in my opinion, uh, the inside story to the tumultuous first decade of the A-League. I reckon you've had a heap of fun doing this. How much fun has it been? You, you've, just reading the book, uh, you, you sense that you had fun making it.
3: Oh, look, uh, yeah, I did have a lot of fun, to, to, to be fair. It was also a lot of hard work. Believe me, I, you know, I've got a full-time job at the same time and I did take some time off. And uh, it's been a busy... Uh, it's been, <laughs> it was a busy time. But, I mean, yeah, look, I've got some magnificent memories from doing it. Uh, look, football, like sport, like other sports, just, just throws up this, you know, eclectic mix of, of colourful characters that I got to speak to. I mean, I spoke to a lot of them through my day job writing about the business of sport anyway. But, uh, Look, you know, interviewing the Clive Palmers of the world about his time at Gold Coast, you know, talking to all sorts of other people as well, from Frank Lowy down, the Gallops, the O'Neills, you know, Ben Buckley spoke you know, to me you know, several times. Uh, he was very kind with his time. Uh, you know, the guy who hadn't spoken to the media since yeah. since he left the FFA. So, I mean, it was good to glean sort of you know, stuff from them. You know, people like Bruce Dutte, uh John Hutchinson, Central Coast. I mean, these guys spoke eloquently, really you know interesting sort of uh, stuff about you know, really the really that what was effectively a whole new league and uh, just an amazing time if we think back 10 or 11 years ago now just about when it, when it was all being set up uh, it's it's been a roller coaster ride and it continues to be so and uh yeah no, look it was great fun I mean you know I'm a, a long time football fan so it was a bit of a labor of love uh, but hopefully you know we've given some people and something entertaining to read that's what we set it
1: up to do. Yeah, dead set John, it absolutely is and uh, speaking from a, the point of view of a person who's who's covered the A-League for our radio network for 10 years and I stood on the running track at Olympic Park when those first uh, baby steps were taken and we we just saw that organic growth of the game and uh, and, and you knew straight away that, that the A-League was going to work because you saw the passion in the crowds and uh, and look we do respect and pay homage to, uh, to all the great ethnic uh, Diversity that created the, the 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 foundation of the game in this country, and that's one thing that we uh, critically need to, to to pay attention to into the future, so that we don't lose um, that that uh, magnificent heritage of uh, of the various uh, uh, um, e- immigrants who've come to this country and made the game what it is. But uh, but the A League certainly been a success. Now, mate, you tell us it's coming up to Christmas. Uh, you can buy the book uh, at all good and bad bookstores, I'd imagine. Yeah,
3: absolutely. That's the hope. Wherever you want. <laughs> You can even order through my cable through Sean Mooney's uh, website as well. Leopold method, you know, all the usual sort of digital sort of things as well. Your your iBooks, uh, uh, yeah, your Amazon's of the world, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, so look, uh, it's, we've had some really, really kind and uh, you know, positive feedback about it. So we're very humbled by that. I said we had a good crack at what, what we hope was an entertaining read, and. Uh, uh, yeah, amazing, amazing diversity. A and edge, before you say goodbye,
1: so Edge, before you say goodbye to John, the book is called A League: The Inside Story of the tumultuous First Decade, written by John Stencil. I was actually going
2: to ask John to see, uh, see whether he's actually sent Clive Palmer uh, an autographed copy. Yeah. Now, <laughs> no, I've not spoken to Clive for a
3: little while, though. I had rich a bit of Richmond as well, so I've got to come, i am going to come across his path, because so we haven't got any... uh any uh, lawsuits from him yet? But maybe that's one good indication. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I know that people are working for him that certainly were, were, were pretty keen to have a way. Look, you know, Quarves the Watson, all sort of character, and I think he's moved on. Yeah, you know, the A-League is probably a bit of a platform for him to get into you know, a bit of notoriety in the federal
2: politics
6: and look what he's done ever since. So <laughs> Senator Clive. He's moved on
2: from there. <laughs> Absolutely. But, I mean, everyone should read the book if you're interested in football and, and colourful characters like Clive. I mean, there's been an amazing uh, group of tycoons that uh, the FFA have been able to rope into these A-League clubs. Um, some of them good, some of them bad. Some of them are still there, some of them are not. So um, make sure you get out and get the book. And credit also to your co-author, Sean
1: Mooney, as well, there, mate. Let's yeah, thanks very much for having well, we'll talk to you again, John Stensholt, magnificent stuff. Do yourself a favour to quote Molly Meldrum. Go out in there and buy it for yourself, buy it for a family member. It's going to be a magnificent Christmas present. Up next, after the break, we've got Ben Sorro perez with Focus on Europe.
0: Box to Box. Can you
3: believe it? The Chemist Warehouse.
0: Home of real brands and real savings. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes,
1: you are on Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgeley, and we've covered a lot on the first episode of Box to Box. We've had John Cosmina, John Stensholt, we've had Sebastian Hassett, we've had everybody who uh, is anybody so far. I think it's a, an understatement, perhaps, but maybe it's an overstatement. I don't know what it is. We're on digital radio, we're streaming on the NTS app, and you can also search for us on TuneIn Radio. But we're not only about uh, introducing talent that uh, is uh, well-known and, uh, and famous around the country, but uh, we're also looking at people who uh, are the rising stars of talent. And We talked to Ben Summerford earlier on with the uh, the Australian Socceroo rap and now we want to introduce you to Ben Soro-Perez with Focus on Europe. So, Edge, you give us a little bit of background on Ben before he rolls into his work.
2: Well, Ben's our secret agent. Um, he's been a great pickup. Uh, we've just ripped him out of uh, Brighton and Hove Albion. Um, where he's been recently the media man um, He's returned home to Australia Although he does speak like someone who's lived in Brighton for a while We'll get to hear his voice in a moment But uh, we're really, uh, really fortunate to have Ben He's our European correspondent uh, He'll be joining us each week Giving us all the all the insight and the news of what's happening uh, Over in the UK and Europe and beyond So Ben, the first question I have for you Are you ready for it? Is Tell us about and Hove Albion What does that mean? Brighton and Hove, I mean, they've they're, uh, they're been pretty competitive in the English Championship. You work for them. Tell us what Hove Albion means.
9: Oh, yeah. Well, they're on a 16-game on b and run at the minute, stretching back to uh, the tail end of last season. So it's all promising. Uh, and the Hove Albion is it's just a little bit next to, Hove, next to Brighton, basically. So you've got the Brighton bit, and if you live in Brighton, you're Brighton. if you Hove, you're Hove actually. Um, and that, that's kind of where the name comes.
1: So there are Hove supporters out there and des- denizens of Hove who are listening on the app and thinking, Edge mate, you need to reach those more. You, you, you need to understand. No, no, no. no I mean, you, I knew all about it. You, did, did, I, I you asked ask that question in
2: pre-production, so we thought we'd ask. Hey, and mate, I read
1: Roy of the Rovers when I was a kid. I know all about it, <laughs> mate. I was a paper boy. I've got a stack a foot high.
2: That's fantastic. Uh, ben, but let's get into it. Um, you've got some uh, news from Europe for us, and we're going to have a, a bit of a talk. Obviously, off the top, tell us about what's going on at Chelsea.
9: Yeah, first off the bat, obviously hard to uh, hard to avoid is uh, the issue surrounding Jose Mourinho, uh, the will he won't he stay on um, at the club. Um, recent news from from the UK is that apparently Monaco have approached Chelsea and offered to pay the thirty five million that is his buyout clause of his well the remainder of his contract. Uh, it was turned down by Abramovich in what must be uh, quite the. Uh, Faith, I guess. Well, Show I guess that's a the thing. I mean, Diego. the point
1: is there, and, and the words that you can clearly hear that you're searching for are the fact that uh, Roman Abramovich is giving him one last chance. He, he's got so much tied into his uh, his time with. Uh, Jose I'm still Mourinho. recovering from
2: 35 million pounds. No wonder, yeah, speechless.
1: But let's not forget the fact that uh, that you don't have to like Jose Mourinho, but he's brought glory to Chelsea, and uh, and he and and in the, in the world that is the uh, English Premier League, you're either a coach that's going to that's been sacked, or that you're going to be sacked. And, uh, and and he knows the, the game as well as anybody. But uh, for Roman Abramovich to, to give him that lifeline uh, is, is unusual. But he, he's earned it, hasn't he, Ben?
9: I think you can look at it both ways. You can say, yes, he has earned it. Or you can look back at passing discretions. He left Chelsea under a cloud last time. Uh, he went to Inter. He had great success at Inter. Huge compensation package to go to Real Madrid. Wheels fell off there. Very similar to this. Turned the players uh, the club generally against media, very short, very abrupt interviews. And the same thing seems to be happening here. Now, perhaps the length of his contract is a reassuring factor to him that he has got that ability uh, and he will stay on. But
2: he must be in an enormous amount of pressure. I think we've got a grab of a press conference that was held earlier this week. Uh, let's go to it Nige. can you. Josie, there's been so much speculation
7: about why the form is so different this season to last season. Same bunch of players, different results. We don't know. Same manager. Same manager. Do you know, essentially, why the results are so different this season? Yes, I know. Can you give us any clues? No, because I'll be here for a long time. It's a combination of uh, it's a combination of factors. And um, some of them I, I can't, I don't want even touch them. Uh, and yes, I know.
9: I think that covers... Everything we just went over and that his, his approach to the media as a whole at the minute suggests that he, he is someone under pressure, regardless um, of what, you know, people in the media may be speculating at the moment.
1: And he he's made a sport of baiting the English media, we all know that, and uh, he's enjoyed it in good times, but now the uh, you know the, the, the claws are out, they're, they're sensing blood, and, uh, and there's no better media in the world than to draw blood than the English media. And, and just listening to John Terry uh, uh, today talking about how he uh, uh, has, well, we talk about the full support of the board, but when you roll out the big gun and you say that the, you roll out the captain, you haven't got many weapons left in your arsenal to, to, uh, to have the captain come out and say we're all fully supportive of him but then on the the same page John Terry starts to you know he's not a a guy that you see a lot in the media but when he comes out and and starts to to slag off against uh, former well well well-known players with good careers and bags them himself you can sense the tension that's coming out of the club it's palpable isn't it
9: yeah it is and I I think again if you look back previously the same thing happened at Real Madrid He, he went in for whatever reasons there were disagreements between him and Iker Casillas Casillas was, uh, I think he was vice captain at the time, and he was slowly distanced and forced out of the team, uh, and and off he went. I don't think that's the case that'll happen to John Terry. But...
2: Ben, people in the you know, the commentary and the, the stuff we're reading online suggests that it's only a matter of time. Mourinho's finished. Who do they replace him with? You know, what what's what are the bongo drums? What what do you think of the options?
9: But there's been speculation that uh, Carlo Ancelotti uh, may be enticed back to the club. Um, but you have to wonder if that's a clutching-at-straws approach um, from from Chelsea. I mean, he's been there before and he has had success, but he's going to inherit a team that needs to replace uh, an ageing defence, John Terry, uh, Gary Cahill's not getting any younger, not necessarily playing any well. Um, and there are issues throughout the club. I mean, Cesc Fabregas came out the other day uh, and refuted allegations that he was leading the revolt against Mourinho. So that would suggest that there's there's issues of unity. Um, and I think whoever they bring in will have to be, have will have to have proven success.
2: Well, let's um, let's leave Chelsea. Let's jump on the M1, head up the highway to Manchester United. There's been a bit of action there during the week as well. Um, they've um, failed to score in any of their last three EPL games. Uh, tell us what's going on up there.
9: Yeah, I think it's just been a struggle. Um, Van Gaal for everything that people said about his Dutch team at the last World Cup, playing exciting football. Um, have done almost anything, but so far this season.
3: So I'm I'm relieved, but I'm also proud because uh, it's not so easy. And and also in the golden victory, in the golden years of Manchester United, I have read is they never won against a Russian team at home. So it's not uh, everybody thinks it is. Uh, Easy, but it is not easy. It is not easy for uh, Manchester United, but it is never, uh, never easy for not one club in in the Champions League to win.
9: The fact that he's, you know, referring to past results, things that he wasn't involved in at the club, suggests that there is a little bit perhaps pressure uh, on him to to start getting results. Um, Wayne Rooney's goal uh, in midweek in the Champions League was his first for 404 minutes. Uh, it may have put him level, you know, second all-time in the club scoring charts, but this is not the form that you've ex- you'd expect from a club, uh, an international captain. Um, and the reaction when he uh, substituted Anthony Martial um, in that Champions League game was was noticeable. The, the, you couldn't hide from the boos. Um, and that suggests that all is not well with the way that the club are playing at present.
1: And some of the other teams that are, you know, one minute you see Leicester last year are uh, fighting for survival, and the uh, next minute they're rubbing shoulders with the big boys. How long could this go on for?
9: I think that's anyone's guess at the minute. I mean, famed as being the tinker man previously, uh, Claudio Ranieri seems to have them playing some lovely football. Um, they've they've got exciting talent. They've got Jamie Vardy up front, who's just broken into the, the England team, um, scoring for Will at the minute. Um, and they will – I think the issue they face is that perhaps come the winter transfer window, there will be eyes from, you know, other clubs and around them who may think, you know, a little bit of – a little bit extra. Um, you're not buying an A-grade talent necessarily, but you're buying someone who can perform. Um, so I think January will be a good indication of, of how far they can go.
2: What about the Gunners? Back to London, what about the Gunners? Are they, uh, are they a chance to shed uh, the nearly men mantra when – take off the
9: title? Oh, I think you have to consider them. I think performances this year have been been hugely improved um admittedly they'll they'll head into the North London Derby at the weekend against a a resurgent Tottenham team. I think you could say um they've scored eight in the of uh, Spurs sorry 've scored eight in the last two games um They look somewhat rejuvenated and more defensively solid under Pochettino and I think for a, an arsenal side that can be bullied, the physicality of this could be a a key component of the match.
1: Mate, look, that's magnificent, uh, Ben. A, a fantastic start. Um, you, you clearly have the insight and the detailed knowledge that uh, that we're all looking for, and uh, and that understanding of the nature of the different clubs. We're going to work through the various clubs throughout the course of the season. We're going to work ourselves around Europe, and we really want to dig down into some of those deeper stories and just get a, an insight from somebody who's uh, who's born and bred and uh, and really uh, adept with the ways of the uh, the English Premier League and the, and the various clubs of Europe. So so well done, Ben, mate. We'll look forward to seeing you again next week.
9: Yeah, thanks very much.
1: That's fantastic. So, Ben Soro-Perez, focus on Europe. We're going to spend a lot of time on Europe, but we're going to look around all of the competitions around the world as well as we go forward. So, magnificent from Ben. Stoppage time coming up next. We're going to welcome Mark Van Aken back into the studio. This is Box to Box on NTS, streaming on the NTS app. You can search for us on TuneIn Radio and, of course, on Digital Radio.
0: Box to Box. Can you
9: believe it? The chemist warehouse.
1: Home of real brands and real savings. And this could be the most crucial goal the ball. And you are with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. It is Box to Box. It's the end of the first episode. The assistant referee has put the board up. He says there's nine minutes to go in stoppage time. This is NTS News Talk Sport on digital radio, streaming on the NTS app, and you can also search for us to listen anywhere in the world on TuneIn Radio. Just type in NTS into the search bar. Tell your friends, tell your family. We hope you've enjoyed the first show. But Mark Van Aken is back in the studio, and uh, mm-hmm. he's got some kind of random segment that he wants to roll with here. He tells us he's prepared a little bit to uh, to... Got no Brothers idea what he's, he's
0: going to turn up with.
1: Yeah, he's got something. So, Mark, Mark what have you got for us, you're going to be brother?
0: closer to the mic there, Mike.
1: OK, <laughs> how's that?
0: I was joking. OK, uh, look, I haven't had enough of Jose Mourinho yet. I know Ben covered him, but we've got some audio. Nige, the producer, let's hear what... This is post-Liverpool on the weekend. This is what the uh, gaffer had to say to the media.
7: After a fabulous start, the game just got away from you there. I have nothing nothing to say. Nothing to say about the game I at nothing, all? Nothing. I have nothing to say. Nothing to say about the Lucas decision that left him on the pitch. Nothing to say. I have nothing to say. The Costa clash. I have nothing to say. I'm so sorry. I have nothing to say. Do you not think it's time to have a chat to the fans just to give them some message, give them indication of the your fans thinking? Are not stupid. We heard them chanting your name. The fans are not stupid. You did say before this game that you weren't worried. Are you a little bit more worried now? No. Worried about what? Your future, your own position at the no. club, the backing of the board. No. Nothing about the game at all? No. no individual performance you'd like to pick out? No. Nothing about the performance going ahead? Nothing. Nothing about the way we could fix it? <laughs> I cannot say. Thank you for your time, Joe. Thank you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's an awesome piece. You know, it reminded me of the uh, the pre-Super Bowl last year where Marshawn yeah. Lynch from Seattle... I the so I don't Seattle. get fine. I'm on just here, goal. get fined. Yeah, mate, well done. Okay, okay, you set the bar high. Continue. <laughs>
0: Uh, That's probably it. How long have we got to go? Eight minutes? No. Uh, Look, I just love what's going on with Jose. It's the third year blues. He has it everywhere he goes. He doesn't want to talk. He's been pushing over little kids in the streets of London. But he was stalked by that kid, wasn't he? Well, the kid was just trying to get a selfie. Come on. Uh, He's being sued by his former doctor. That's come up this week. It's just all going wrong for Jose. And it's funny, interesting the point Ben made with Monaco coming in, offering to buy him, because it just seems at the moment, Jose is doing everything he can to get sacked.
1: So tell me, what's the next step to get sacked? They keep on losing. I mean, right now, I I know it's ridiculous to say this side of Christmas, but... uh... Unless they start to bag a few wins in the short order, they are seriously going to be hanging dangerously around
0: the uh, the drop zone. What about a sex tape? Everyone loves a sex tape.
1: Well, that's probably the next out there, mate, well, so, uh, I'll leave that with you.
0: Nice segue, because what I loved during the week, I think it was on Wednesday, Karen Benzema arrested by French police after being accused of blackmail relating to a sex tape featuring Mathieu Valbuena, And I'd say no bueno on that one. Uh, <laughs> I'm not quite sure. I mean, this is not made up. This, this, is, this is real stuff. So that was during the week. So still a bit more to, to play out there. Um, another one. Michael Edgeley, are you aware Vincenzo Grella is a player agent? Uh, I wasn't aware of that. Um, I'm
2: just wondering about how the, the advice goes between Vinny and his, uh, and his
0: uh, clients. Um, he knows the game inside out but I just wonder and and I'm casting aspersions and I've never met Vinny in person I know you have actually over in uh, Brazil but um, I just wonder how Vinny would go with the kind of legal mumbo jumbo that goes together uh, with that side now during the week he has what are you uh, suggesting mate I'm just saying on the surface I'm I'm just not sure Vinny would be uh, I I don't think he'd have a law degree for starters I know that's one of the and he obviously would have had to have gone through he's been to the University of Life look of hard knocks.
2: It is. Look, I love Vinny as a player. I thought he was um, so important to us in a time when we had a lot of success.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, don't know how he's going to go as a player agent, just quietly. Well, he is the agent of Terry Antonis, uh, and he's come out this week, he being Vinny Grella, um, saying that Terry is probably the best player of his generation. I assume he's talking in the context of Australia. Um, he's battling for fitness at Polk playing over in the Greek Super League. So uh, put big raps, put a lot of pressure on his own player there. But uh, Vinny, again, one area I wouldn't be questioning him is knowing his talent uh, on the park. Now, again, we've talked about Jose. Chelsea legend Gianfranco Zola has revealed that he dreams of taking charge at Stamford Bridge again someday. And he said, my, during the week, he said, my dream, let it say my ambition, is to be Chelsea manager again someday in the future. I know Ben uh, Ben stepped out of the studio. He's got a smirk on his face for that one. He says, however, I realise that I need to improve as a manager if I want to get there and I'm working hard to achieve my goal. Qatar is helping me a lot in this regard. He's coaching Al Arabi in Qatar. I'm not sure that's the stepping stone to, to, to one of the top clubs in the Premier League, Rob. I don't think so either, mate. But uh, he he
1: might be in line uh, for the job sooner than later if uh, if Jose keeps going the way he's
0: going. He might well be Jose B. (laughs) Okay. Are we still on air? Is it, I think we are. To... Okay, uh, disturbed at the <laughs> downturn in the mining sector, Tony Sage, the Perth Glory owner, has acquired an 85% stake in Uruguayan pharmaceutical player Wintergarden Biosciences, which Wait for Gents manufactures medical-grade marijuana for worldwide distribution. Does this explain some of the decisions in the head office over the last few years at Perth Glory? Edge? Oh, I think it'll keep the shed pretty happy. I'd imagine
2: they'd be, they'd be pretty uh, comfortable with uh, that investment. Um, just on that, Mark... Do you think the Perth Glory fans have had enough of him?
0: Are oh, they are they over him? I think they might be
2: like complete like finished over
0: yeah. him. Uh, look on a serious note, uh, Perth Glory were one of the great clubs of the NSL. They've underwhelmed in the A League. Of course, they are tomorrow night playing in the FFA Cup final. Um, they're still smarting that they didn't get that they weren't hosting the final. Of course, the crowd they got to their semi final was really poor. That said, so was the victories. Um, but I know David Gallop came out uh, a few months ago and sort of said to fans, hey, calm down. These are the guys putting the money in. That's all well and good. But, yeah, he's he's on the nose. Until he's gone, I don't think you're going to see them. You see, I know the NBL is getting a resurgence right around Australia. But Perth Wildcats, even last year when the NBL didn't exist anywhere else in the country, were getting 11,000 people a game. Yet... You probably wouldn't see eleven thousand a glory game, an outdoor sport. So um, no, they need to change. Tony Sage, I know he's put a lot of money in, his heart is probably in the right place, but I think until he's gone, the mail I'm getting out west is that they won't be on board with the team.
2: I think they got one last chance and that's their CEO, Peter Philopoulos. He is a good a football good man. Yep. He's he's been around a long time, he's 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 done his he's done a great apprenticeship in the commercial side of many professional sports. It's really
0: up to him now. Um, I think he's got a tough gig, but if anyone can do it, he can. Now, quickly, we talked to John Cosmina, obviously, earlier in the show, or you guys did. Uh, Now, some of the stats uh, around the Socceroos. If we're worried about a loss this week in Canberra, don't be, or next week in Canberra... um, what have I got? I've lost my way here. Tuesday week uh, with Bangladesh, uh, of course, we're going on the road as well. We're Right, last time... Here we go. The last time Australia lost a World Cup qualifier at home was against China back in 2008. Since then, we're 10 wins, 2 draws. Pretty strong. Australia scored 26 goals so far in 2015, the most in the calendar year. Who cares, Mark? Get on with a good one. Uh, Kyrgyzstan, here we go. Uh, undefeated in their last three matches, including a nil-all draw with pool leaders Jordan. Uh, but uh, everything points towards a Socceroos victory in Canberra. If you're listening in the capital, get to the game. And
1: just when it points, that's when... You get worried because, as, <laughs> as we well know and we saw happen in Jordan, there's nothing you can take for granted. I, I seriously uh, am a little concerned about this whole thing uh, going uh, the way that um, we don't expect it. Uh, if this Bangladesh match gets uh, wrapped up and, uh, and doesn't go ahead, uh, we really desperately need this here's one. And the, a here's, lot of the right. was, here's
0: the stat I was looking for. We've never lost consecutive World Cup qualifying matches since joining the AFC. Magnificent, mate. So, look, Mark, thank you very much for your time, mate. It's been magnificent. This is the
1: end of the first episode of Box to Box on NTS Edge. A magnificent start to our uh, program and we hope the first episode of many, many more. And, uh, and mate, we'll, we'll see you next week before we wrap
2: it up. Thank you, Rob. Fantastic effort, Rob Gilbert, and uh, let's uh, let's look forward to next week. Well done,
1: mate. So that's it for week one of Box to Box. We thank our guests, John Cosmina, John Stensolt, Sebastian Hassett, of course Ben Summerford and Ben Soro Perez, my co-host Michael Edgeley, and our magnificent news hound Mark Van Aken. Of course, our mates at Chemist Warehouse, Mario Tasconi and Sam Gans, magnificent supporters of Australian support. Whenever there's ever sport in Australia, they're the ones there. So that's Box to Box for week one. Join us next week when we go from one end of the pitch to the other with the greatest game in the world, and that game is football. News is next. We look forward to you joining us on Friday night and listening to our repeat program on a Saturday morning. You can listen to us from 5 till 7 on a Friday. You can listen to the repeat program from 6 till 8. Tell your family, tell your friends. That is Box to Box.